The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Well, drinking. I'm very pleased with you. Now you're beginning to live like a Frenchman. There's some going over. Your man gave my place this afternoon. We just barely got cleaned up and time to open. Well, I told Strasser you wouldn't find the letters here, but I told my men to be especially destructive. You know how that impresses Germans? Rick, have you got those letters of transit? Oh, yeah, you pro-vichy or free French. <laughs> Serves me right for asking a direct question. Well, I think it's time for me to flatter Major Strasser a little. I'll see you later, Rick. What did you say? But you can't repeat it. What I said is none of your business. I will make it my business. I don't like disturbances in my place. I either lay off politics or get out. You see, Captain? The situation is not as much under control as you believe. My dear Major, we are trying to cooperate with your government, but we cannot regulate the feelings of our people. Captain, are you entirely certain which side you're on? I have no conviction, if that's what you mean. I blow with the wind, and the prevailing wind happens to be from Vichy. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, April 1st, 2021. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is the 700th weekly episode of Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing, it's just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be Well, I never thought I'd see a local newspaper headline like this, Robert. But there it was, the front page of the March 12, 21 London Free Press. Quote, what part of don't do you not get? End quote. Talk about an authoritarian attitude coming from politicians and directed at the people they're supposed to represent. In this case, they were talking about off-campus house parties that triggered some kind of COVID outbreak. The COVID, as you you and I know, is not about COVID. And London Mayor Ed Holder said after months of an education-first philosophy on COVID, it's been a year, he says, warnings are done, and I'm here to say that if people are not wearing masks well and not following the public health guidelines, there will be fines, he said. We don't want to lay fines, but if that's what we need to do to exact appropriate behaviors for the sake of our community, then we will do what we need to do, end quote. And to hell with everyone's fundamental rights and freedoms. His is a fascist agenda, the very one being referred to as everything from Agenda 21 to the Great Reset to COVID, you name it. In effect, he's an agent of a foreign power, a puppet for an agenda that has nothing to do with any virus, one who blows with the political wind. And in this case, the wind is from the United Nations and from China and others. That's the theme of our discussion today, one that Robert and I shall begin right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave, follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform, and visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links and our archive broadcasts. As always, Your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. And Robert, as we've discussed many times over several of our 700 shows, (laughs) London, Ontario is no different from the jurisdictions of municipalities, states, and provinces the world round, where various elements of the United Nations plan to destroy Western civilization have taken root. From climate change policies like, you know, no idling, 
useless speed bumps, street narrowing. Remember when we talked about all that? Yes, indeed. They've got all these racist agendas and quotas. The City of London not so long ago declared London an official climate change emergency area. I mean, that's, it's insane. <laughs> Which to me was an official declaration of our City Council's capitulation to a communist and globalist agenda. And, the, you know, it just goes on and on and on. Robert, what the hell's going on? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you have articulated what is going on so well over these last... 699 episodes, all of which are available online on our website, by the way. My thinking on all of this, I have to stand back and look at all the different elements that have come together, especially over the last year, 2020, and look at it in a historical context and a psychological context. And my conversations with our friend Salim Mansour has got me thinking the value of knowing history. Because without that knowledge of where we came from, it's very difficult to understand how we got here and where we're going. And I think if you wanted to title this show anything, it should be Vichy Canada. Just like our opening clip about uh, Vichy France from Casablanca, a fantastic movie about the oppressive regime of uh, Vichy uh, France. It's become like that. I mean, except for the bombs and the shooting, we have capitulated. And when I say we, I mean the majority of Canadians have capitulated to the globalist communist agenda. And a a recent survey by uh, Campaign Research uh, entitled February Omnibus 2021, if you want to look it up online, illustrates the point. They asked some very pointed questions about people's willingness to give up their freedoms for the sake of uh, health and safety, of all things, you know, health and safety. They're willing to, to give up their freedoms. I'll go through some of the stats that will just blow your mind. Think of this when you look at your neighbor next. 61% of Canadians think their provincial governments are doing a good job. Now consider what the provincial governments are doing with all these lockdowns, destroying the economy, Uh, threatening to have vaccine passports, all of this stuff, Uh, killing people in long-term care facilities, all of this, 61% think they're doing a good job. 67% think that they should keep up the restrictions regardless of the negative impacts. Fully two-thirds of your friends and neighbors and family think that, you know, that even though there are negative impacts, suicide, alcoholism, spousal abuse, deaths in long-term care facilities, wearing masks, closing businesses, destruction of the economy, that's okay. Keep it up. 38% say the police should, at their discretion, enter homes without warrants to enforce COVID compliance. Oh my, 52%. The majority of Canadians say police should establish vehicular checkpoints to ensure compliance. 46% say police should establish pedestrian checkpoints to enforce restrictions. And uh, 58% agree to isolation centers. They used to call them internment camps back in the day for breach of COVID restrictions. So in other words, you didn't isolate for two weeks. You aren't wearing your mask. You um, tested positive but won't isolate those things, you should be interred, interned. 
<laughs> hey, even if you test negative, you're supposed to be interned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't make any difference. It's all BS from yeah. top to bottom. And why people can't see that is frightening. But it gets worse. I mean, 37% support the use of cell phones to track and enforce compliance. 59% support fining or jailing people who spread, quote, misinformation about COVID. And they, they went on to detail what that misinformation means. Questioning the existence or seriousness of COVID, i.e. it's just the flu. That's what they, they asked people. And 59% you should be jailed or fined for saying that COVID is just the flu, or it what doesn't exist. Say, what if we say COVID is just fascism? Will we go to jail for that too? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Be- you know, so in other words, you go to jail for telling the truth, and you get a uh, get-out-of-jail-free card if you lie and, and, and want to kill your fellow neighbor. Yeah, yeah. okay. Pretty much. 38% it. support suspending civil liberties and rights. I'll say that again. 38% of Canadians... Your friends and family support suspending your rights, your civil liberties, because of health and safety. 32% strongly oppose this. Now, that's contradictory, actually. 32% oppose the suspension of civil liberties and rights. And yet, how can you have that and all of the people who actually support things like the checkpoints and the cell phone things and the internments and well surveys are <laughs> the answer is based on how the question is asked and the uh, answer is based on and it's also based on how the person who's answering the question perceives what that question means okay yeah. a lot of people aren't even aware of the things we're aware of they've been so isolated and so extremely propagandized it is exactly like the time in world war ii you know exactly the- and i think that the educators out there from primary school all the way to university uh, the media and our politicians have done a spectacular job of indoctrinating people into pure collectivism, pure communism. Now, there's a few more things on that survey that uh, stuck out for me that I should mention as well. First of all, there's very little difference between the respondents' answers and their party affiliation, particularly conservative, liberal, NDP, and green, and Bloc Québécois. They pretty much were the same across the board. Some differences, but not worthy of mention. They asked the question for uh, people who would vote for another party, in quotes. And of course, the only real other party out there of any merit, of course, would be the People's Party of Canada. So I'm going to interpret other party as PPC. Now, 62% who would vote for another party uh, agree with this statement. My provincial government has done a bad job because all the rules and restrictions were not effective and most of it was totally unnecessary and excessive. We must get back to normal as soon as possible. So there's your PPC. I'm assuming it's PPC, right? Sure. Um, and that, that's what I would say, too. I would fall into this category. Now, mind you, 9% of Canadians agreed with that statement. 9% wants this to end unilaterally stop it, you know, and 9% also would not take a vaccine, so-called, you know. So I think that you and I have to understand, as well as our comrades out there who are doing um, like work, um, you know who you are, 
we are in a, a minority. But then again, you know, most revolutions, most resistance, most establishment of good governance came from minorities. Absolutely. And by minority, just think of a um, statistic I, I read once. Uh, please, somebody find me the, uh, the reference. But I understood that the majority of Americans in the 13 original colonies, who were, of course, British, they were all British subjects, fought against the revolution, did not want George Washington to win. The majority of them. The revolution brought in Germans and French to help them fight against the British. And, of course, a minority, a handful of well-read, Age of Enlightenment people wrote the Declaration of Independence and the ensuing Constitution. So when I say that a 9% were belonging to a very small minority, uh, mind you, it's in Canada, that still translates out to about 3.4 million people, we get it. We understand what rights are, that they are inalienable, they cannot be transferred to a government, they can't be suspended, they can't be taken away, no matter what. 9%. Call it the 9% solution. <laughs> there, there you go. And that's higher than I expected. I see that as a good sign, quite frankly. I know it is, it is heartening to know that it is as high as 9%, but we must remember that in general, according to this survey, in general, the majority of our fellow countrymen are our mortal enemies and would be classified, if you go back to World War II, as collaborators in France or good Germans in Nazi Germany. Right. There is a man arrived in Casablanca on his way to America. He will offer a fortune to anyone who will furnish him with an exit visa. Uh, what's his name? Victor Laszlo. Victor Laszlo? Rick, that is the first time I've ever seen you so impressed. Well, he succeeded in impressing half the world. It's my duty to see that he doesn't impress the other half. Rick, Laszlo must never reach America. He stays in Casablanca. It'll be interesting to see how he manages. Manages what? His escape? Oh, but I've just told you, Stop Rick. Stop it. Escape from a concentration camp. The Nazis have been chasing him all over Europe. This is the end of the chase. 20,000 francs says it isn't. Is that a serious offer? I just paid out 20. I'd like to get it back. Make it 10. I'm only a poor, corrupt official. Okay. Done. No matter how clever he is, he still needs an exit visa. Or oh, I should say two. Why two? He is traveling with a lady. I'll take one. I think not. I've seen the lady. And if he did not leave her in Marseille or in Iran, he certainly won't leave her in Casablanca. Well, maybe he's not quite as romantic as you are. It doesn't matter. There is no exit visa for him. Louis, whatever gave you the impression that I might be interested in helping Laszlo escape? Because, my dear Ricky, I suspect that under that cynical shell, you're at heart a sentimentalist. Oh, laugh if you will, but I happen to be familiar with your record. Let me point out just two items. In 1935, you ran guns to Ethiopia. In 1936, you fought in Spain on the loyalist side. And got well paid for it on both occasions. The winning side would have paid you much better. Maybe. <laughs> well, it seems that you're determined to keep Laszlo here. I have my orders. Oh, I see. Gestapo spank. My dear Ricky, you overestimate the influence of the Gestapo. I don't interfere with them. And they don't interfere with me. In Casablanca, I am master of my fate. I am Major Strasswitz here, sir. Uh, you were saying... Excuse me.
Well, you are asking about Rick, and here he is, Mademoiselle. May I present... Uh, Hello, Elsa. Hello, Rick. Oh, you've already met Rick, Mademoiselle. Well, then, uh, perhaps you also... This uh... is Mr. Laszlo. How do you do? How do you do? Well, he has a great deal about Rick in Casablanca, and about Victor Laszlo everywhere. Won't you join us for a drink? Oh, no, Rick. Well, Never. Thanks, I will. Well, a precedent is being broken. Uh, Emil. This is a very interesting cafe. I congratulate you. I congratulate you. What for? Your work? Thank you. I try. We all try. You succeed. Just for those who might not be that historically updated on the issue of Vichy itself, the city of Vichy is a city in south-central France, which became the French capital in July 1940, shortly after the French surrendered to the invading Germans. As Paris, from which the government had fled successfully to Tours, Bordeaux, and Clermont-Freeland, was included in the German-occupied zone, and the French government not allowed to return. Marshal Patin established his government at Vichy because the large number of hotels afforded facilities for the government offices. That's the reason they went there. The government here became known as the Vichy government. And by the way, the population of that city in 1946 was 29,000. It wasn't really a big city. And the term Vichy France was the name applied to the governing authority of those portions of France remaining under nominal French rule after the defeat of the country by Germany in 1940. Marshal Patin was the chief of state, and Pierre Laval, pro-German, exercised most governmental authority, responsible only to Otto Abbott's Nazi representative in Paris. In 1942, Laval became prime minister and was virtual dictator of the area with Admiral Jean Darlan, his chief of state. When the Allies invaded North Africa, November 1942, the Germans rapidly took over all of France. When the Allies recaptured occupied France, the precarious Vichy government moved on to German territory and remained there until the eve of the end of the war. Patain returned to France and was sentenced to, to life imprisonment for treason. Laval, also tried, was shot by a firing squad after failing an attempt to take his life by poison. And I got that out of my Universal World Reference Encyclopedia. So hopefully, Robert, one day many of our own current political masters will meet a similar fate. I actually <laughs> hope for that, you know. I really do, because I think that the parallel between what we live in today, Vichy Canada, who have capitulated to the communist globalist agenda, is just like Vichy France. I mean, Marshal Philippe Pétain was a dictatorial fascist whose ideology and methods paralleled those of Nazi Germany. You know, he resulted in the rounding up of Jews and communists in France and the subsequent deaths of over 72,000 of them. Yep. I mean, he I was just as bad as Hitler. And to the extent that our current politicians willingly and knowingly have brought our nation under the submission of other interests, I think something similar to the Nuremberg trials is in order. I agree with you. Yeah. Is it one interest? Is it several? Oh, it's several. It is um, a juggernaut of evil out there. And it started in 1848 with Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto. Some people have actually said, and I can understand this, while Marx wrote the Communist Manifesto as a reaction to the corrupt elite, the czars, the kings, the queens, the princes, the dukes, who were undeserved of their 
power. I mean, especially if they didn't cater to the noblesse oblige, that people thought that, okay, I have privilege, I really must behave myself. And so Karl Marx basically said, you know, this is nonsense, workers of the world unite. But of course, people took that manifesto and ran with it to themselves become the, their own elite. I mean, look at Lenin and Stalin and how they became the elite, the basic dictators, worse, far worse than the czars they overthrew. That philosophy moved to the Orient, this Occidental philosophy of Marx, created in Europe, written in Britain, made its way to China, to the Orient, where uh, actually 100 years ago this year, July 23rd is the anniversary of the uh, creation of the Chinese Communist Party. So for 100 years in that part of the world, they're now coming into their own as far as trying to change the world into the image of a worker party, a worker state, a classless society where only people like Xi Jinping are the elites and if you just look at the history, just consider Justin Trudeau saying that he admires the dictatorship of communist China and put that into a historical perspective. Justin Trudeau reveals his admiration for China. The liberal leader making the comment at a ladies' night fundraiser in Toronto. The event itself controversial with critics calling it sexist. Now Trudeau creating more waves with his praise of the communist dictatorship of China. There's a level of, of uh, admiration I actually have for China. Um, because their you know, basic dictatorship is allowing them uh, to actually turn their economy around on a dime and say we need to go green as fast as we need to start you know, investing in solar. I mean, there is a flexibility that I know Stephen Harper must dream about of having a dictatorship that he could do everything he wanted. The very same party that Xi Jinping right now presides over is the party that has killed over 60 million of its inhabitants, that has destroyed the nation of Tibet, that has uh, that harvest, to this day, harvests the organs of living prisoners, rounds up and interns Muslim uh, Uyghurs in China. It is going on today, and if you hear about it, you can be, be sure that it's the tip of the iceberg, you know, for, for uh, communist China. And for anybody in the West, like uh, Justin Trudeau, collaborator that he is, to say that he admires that kind of dictatorship is exactly the same as if he said it during World War II that he admires Adolf Hitler for well, what being is able difference? to clean I up think, his country. I, I think he more than admires them. I think he's emulating them. We're seeing exact Chinese policies taking place in Canada and the United States. Not just, And he's not acting alone, obviously because every single agenda down to the minutia of even setting up these COVID hotels, making people pay for them. They're doing this in every country. Yep. The, same, the exact same policy. It is a concerted effort by design being orchestrated by a number of key organizations, both governmental and NGOs. I'll get into that in a second, but just go back to China. I have to impress upon people who think that China is a great place, 
You know, oh, they've, like Stephen Harper said, they've lifted 400 million people out of poverty. Yeah, at what expense? Their lives are orchestrated to a T. They cannot move without the officials knowing exactly where they are through technology, cell phone and facial recognition, and also the snitching on by neighbors. They know what they're doing at all times. They are censored. They cannot protest unless they take their lives into their hands. They are killed on the streets. We saw that in 2020 and 2019 during the COVID thing. Just go back to Mao. Remember, Mao Zedong was the leader of the exact same party that Xi Jinping is ruling now. He thought that, oh, let's kill one-tenth of the peasants, or about 50 million people. He thought that they would have to be destroyed, his word, uh, in English, (laughs) to facilitate an agrarian reform. He looked at them as numbers, you know, a statistic. You know the old saying, one death is a tragedy, a million is a statistic. This is Xi Jinping. This is Justin Trudeau. He doesn't care about individuals. Everybody must be subservient to the state. And of course, to the state, that means to the elite, to him. You know, the great Chinese famine, the estimated death toll of that, tens of millions of people. I mean, the lowest estimate of the great Chinese famine, which, by the way, was uh, an intentional famine, much like the, uh, the one that Stalin did in the Ukraine, the low estimate is 15 million people. Yeah, my grandfather died in that extermination. Yes. That's how short a time ago it was. You know people who died from it, right? Or, you know, their relatives. And um, it, and the upper does... estimate is 55 million people. There was the cultural genocide uh, against the Tibetans. There was the one-child policy, which was only, uh, re- you know, uh, repealed to a two-child policy uh, back in 2015, six years ago. You actually had to apply to have a child, another child beyond one. Unbelievable. And this depopulation, this control of population is a theme that we hear today from uh, Justin Trudeau, the United Nations. Let's get into some of these organizations we are talking about. You've got the World Health Organization headed by Tedros. Now, Tedros is an avowed Marxist revolutionary in his own country. Yep. You've got the Earth Summit in Rio, right? This is, these are United Nations organizations and meetings where all of these agendas are planned out by NGOs and politicians and the elite. They all gather together either in Davos, Switzerland, or in Rio, in Brazil, Rio de Janeiro. And this is what they come up with, the Earth Summit in Rio, 1992. That's where Agenda 21 came in. And in Agenda 21, they talked about changing people's consumption patterns, the end of capitalism, you know, achieving a more sustainable population. Really? And how would you do that? Of course, you do that by either killing people or preventing them from having babies. (laughs) And they talk about it as if, you know, over over their hors d'oeuvres and wine. Then you have Rio plus five in 97, Rio plus 10 in 2002, Agenda 21 for culture in 2002, Rio 20 in 2012, the Paris Agreement of 2015, that's where they talked about climate change and destroying the oil industry, you know, and, and, and fining companies for polluting with, my God, carbon dioxide, plant food, you know. Yeah. Uh, Sustainable Development Summit of 2015, again, um, that included uh, Agenda 2030, where specifically they talked about how 
you have to have a global migration from the southern hemisphere to the northern hemisphere and from the eastern hemisphere to the western hemisphere. See that? They want mass migration, and we're talking in the hundreds of millions, mass migration from the rest of the world to guess where? The West, Europe, Canada, the United States. They have to destroy Western culture. They have to destroy it. And it's all laid out. That's the thing about this whole thing, is that these aren't conspiracies hidden, you know, uh, and, and done behind in dark rooms in the back alleys. These are televised. These are yep. written documents that you can go online and find. I mean, Agenda 21, Agenda 23. They sound ominous, don't they? They sound conspiratorial. Well, according to the they dictionary are. definition of the word, they are conspiratorial. But, you know, right. people think of these and the Great Reset, I'll get to that in a second, and think, oh, you're just talking out of your tin hat. No, they're actually explicitly telling you, blueprint by blueprint, how they are intending to destroy the Western culture and to implement what can only be described as global communism. Monsieur Laszlo, is it not? Yes. I am Captain Renault, Prefect of Police. Yes, what is it you want? Merely to welcome you to Casablanca and to wish you a pleasant stay. It isn't often we have so distinguished a visitor. Thank you. I hope you'll forgive me, Captain. The present French administration hasn't always been so cordial. Uh, excuse me. Ah, Major. Mademoiselle Lund, Monsieur Laszlo, may I present Major Heinrich Strasser? How do you do? This is a pleasure I have long looked forward to. I'm sure you'll excuse me if I'm not gracious. But you see, Major Strasser, I'm a Czechoslovakian. You were Czechoslovakian. Now you are subject of the German Reich. I've never accepted that privilege, and I'm now on French soil. I should like to discuss some matters arising from your presence on French soil. This is hardly the time or the place. Then we shall state another time and another place tomorrow at 10 in the Prefect's office. Will, mademoiselle. Captain Renault, I'm under your authority. Is it your order that we come to your office? Uh, let us say it is my request. Uh, that is a much more pleasant word. Very well. Mademoiselle? Mademoiselle. I'm delighted to see you both. Did you have a good night's rest? I slept very well. That's strange. Nobody is supposed to sleep well in Casablanca. Maybe proceed to the business? With pleasure. Won't you sit down? Thank you. Very well, Alas, though we will not mince words. You're an escaped prisoner of the Reich. So far, you have been fortunate enough in eluding us. You have reached Casablanca. It is my duty to see that you stay in Casablanca. My regrets, monsieur. Well, perhaps I shall like it in Casablanca. And mademoiselle? You needn't be concerned about me. Is it all you wish to tell us? Don't be in such a hurry. You have all the time in the world. You may be in Casablanca indefinitely. Or you may leave for Lisbon tomorrow on one condition. And that is? You know the leader of the underground movement in Paris, in Prague, in Brussels, in Amsterdam, in Oslo, in Belgrade, in Athens. Even Berlin? Yes, even in Berlin. If you will furnish me with their names and their exact whereabouts, you will have your visa in the morning. And the honor of having served the Third Reich. I was in a German concentration camp for a year. That's honor enough for a lifetime. You will give us the names? If I didn't give them to you in a concentration camp, 
where you had more persuasive methods at your disposal. I certainly won't give them to you now. And what if you track down these men and kill them? What if you murdered all of us? From every corner of Europe, hundreds, thousands would rise to take our places. Even Nazis can't kill that fast. Well, Laszlo, you have a reputation for eloquence which I can now understand, but in one respect you are mistaken. You said the enemies of the Reich could all be replaced, but there's one exception. No one could take your place in the event anything unfortunate should occur to you while you were trying to escape. You won't dare to interfere with me here. This is still unoccupied France. Any violation of neutrality would reflect on Captain Renault. Monsieur, insofar as it is in my power. Thank you. Uh, by the way, monsieur, last night you evinced an interest in Senor Ugarte. Yes? I believe you have a message for him. Nothing important, but may I speak to him now? You would find the conversation a trifle one-sided. Senor Ugarte is dead. I'm making out the report now. We haven't quite decided whether he committed suicide or died trying to escape. You are listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And Robert, just before the break, you're talking about the United Nations, and I have to bring up uh, just a haunting description of the United Nations that was written by Ayn Rand. And let's face it, this goes back half a century. And tell me that this doesn't sound like she could have written it yesterday. And I quote... Psychologically, the UN has contributed a great deal to the gray swamp of demoralization, of cynicism, bitterness, hopelessness, fear, and nameless guilt, which is swallowing the Western world. But the communist world has gained a moral sanction, a stamp of civilized respectability for the Western world. It has gained the West's assistance in deceiving its victims. It has gained a status and prestige of an equal partner, thus establishing the notion that the difference between human rights and mass slaughter is merely a difference of political opinion. And that's how so many people think. Oh, it's just politics. Just your opinion. Yep. The declared goal of the communist countries is the conquest of the world. Just like you said, Robert, they declared it. They're screaming it. What they stand to gain from a collaboration with the relatively free countries is the latter's material, financial, scientific, and intellectual resources. The free countries have nothing to gain from the communist countries. Therefore, the only form of common policy or compromise between two such parties is the policy of property owners who make piecemeal concessions to an armed thug in exchange for his promise not to rob them. The UN has delivered a larger part of the globe's surface and population to the power of Soviet Russia than Russia could ever hope to conquer by armed force. We find ourselves in New York City in October of 1960. Inside the UN General Assembly, Nikita Khrushchev is pounding his shoe and his fists, interrupting a special conference on third world decolonization. Khrushchev intends to press for greater freedom for Africa from Western powers. But a speech by British Prime Minister Harold Macmillan, deriding communist colonization of Eastern Europe, quickly set off Khrushchev's loud outburst. The Soviet leader later gives a speech railing against the West, and is quoted in the media as saying, I will bury you. In reality, what he did say can be more closely translated as a promise that communism will outlast capitalism. Yet the world would remember this mistranslated threat to bury the West and the image of the Soviet premier banging his shoe. 
an institution allegedly formed for the purpose of using the united might of the world to stop an aggressor has become the means of using the united might of the world to force the surrender of one helpless country after another into the aggressor's power. Who but a concrete-bound epistemological savage could have expected any other result from such an experiment and collaboration? What would you expect from a crime-fighting committee whose board of directors included the leading gangsters of the community? And, And then she says this, When an institution reaches the degree of corruption, brazen cynicism, and dishonor demonstrated by the UN in its shameful history, to discuss it at length is to imply that its members and supporters may possibly be making an innocent error about its nature, which is no longer possible. There is no margin for error about a monstrosity that was created for the alleged purpose of preventing wars by uniting the world against any aggressor, but proceeding to unite it against any victim of aggression. The expulsion, this is where China comes in, the expulsion of a charter member, the Republic of China, an action forbidden by the UN's own charter, was a moment of truth, a naked display of the United Nations soul. What was Red China's qualification for membership in the UN? The fact that her government seized power by force and has maintained it for 22 years by terror. What disqualified nationalist China? The fact that she was a friend of the United States, yep. end quote. Yep. Ayn Rand, Doesn't that say uh, it all? Ayn Rand always had it right. And um, if anybody out there has not read any of her fiction or nonfiction, I would encourage you, if you ever want to read anything, philosophical, political, or anything of like that, just go to Rand. Your mind will be forever changed. I, I see so many people on the right today struggling to reinvent all the wheels that Rand was turning a million times over half a century ago. Yep. You know what I mean? I do. Right? Here in these tiny little books, there's more wisdom. I, I woke up from reading Ayn Rand. I read two chapters that did more education to me than 13, 14, 15, 15 years of, of formal education. Her clarity in thought... And, and the written word is mesmerizing. You just have to read it to appreciate it. And a lot of my conservative friends put their nose up when I, I mention Ayn Rand because, guess what? Oh, she was an atheist, wasn't she? And immediately they won't read her. They turn away from her because they associate atheism with communism. Remember, the Communist Party is a religionless party. It is an official atheist organization. But here we have um, Ayn Rand, born into a Jewish family in Soviet Union. (laughs) Yes. You know, emigrated to the United States, became a United States citizen, loves that country passionately. She never really wrote too much about being an atheist or God or anything like that. No, and and she acknowledged religion as being a powerful force and it even had a lot of proper ideas. It was an early attempt by humanity to create philosophy. Remember, she rarely, rarely talked about her being an atheist. But to my conservative religious friends out there, don't dismiss Ayn Rand's political uh, philosophy just because she doesn't agree with your uh, spirituality. If she wasn't a rabid atheist that people might think, Read her books and get beyond this atheism stuff. No, she, her, her, whole, her whole argument was that if you're going to fight for freedom and you want to make it stick, you can't do it on basis of faith. You've got to do it on the basis of reason. Yeah. Now, uh, just to get back, that was a bit of a digression, but I think it has to be said, people out there should read Ayn Rand. I mean, we've read it. Yeah. I've read basically every 
published word of Rand. And I believe you were uh, the same. But anyway, I just want to get back to this, um, these organizations, because we covered the United Nations stuff, but there's this one NGO out there led by a Klaus Schwab yeah. uh, called the World Economic Forum. And this is driving a lot of the agenda that people like Justin Trudeau are following. He even mentions it. He mentioned the Great Reset. And of course, he's referencing Klaus Schwab's book, The Great Reset, where he basically he wants to transform society into a communist, global, one-party, one-nation state. And now, this is telling. On their website, before Trudeau brought uh, attention to this Great Reset, there was a video. Now, mind you, it was more of a slideshow than video. But in that video, Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum had these predictions that they hoped would come true in the future. It was delivered in a hopeful way. I wrote them down, so I'll read them to you, because uh, the video is in, has no audio, just music. Right. In that video, the World Economic Forum says, in the future, you'll own nothing, and you'll be happy. Whatever you want, you'll rent, and it'll be delivered by drone. The U.S., won't be the world's leading superpower. A handful of countries will dominate. You'll eat much less meat, an occasional treat, not a staple, for the good of the environment and our health. A billion people would be displaced by climate change. We'll have to do a better job at welcoming and integrating refugees. Polluters will have to pay to emit carbon dioxide. There will be a global price on carbon. This will make fossil fuels history. Western values will have been tested to the breaking point. Now, what clearer blueprint for absolute communist dictatorship on a global scale can you get from that video? You'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Otherwise, we'll kill you. <laughs> that's a, that's a... That's a complete contradiction in terms. You'll own nothing and be happy, but you can rent stuff. So the guy who's renting the stuff owns it. Hello? <laughs> no, no, no. The, the government owns it. You'll rent it from them. <laughs> so that's still ownership. And the government isn't a, a nameless collective. It's run by four or five people who are put in charge. You're giving them the power. There's no way that you can call anything a collective. There's no such thing. Every well, that, collective is run by a handful of people. That's the error that these communists are making. Well, first of all, I think that the people at the top, like Klaus Schwab, don't make errors. I don't they think they're... I don't think, they know exactly think, what they're doing. I don't, yeah, I, but I don't think they're making an error. I but, think they however, see the collaborators are making an error, thinking that, ooh, kumbaya, right? People can live this way. They don't understand the human nature. They don't understand human psychology, right? That is how collaborators make that error, by following such evil people as a Klaus Schwab, or a Bill Gates, or a Justin Trudeau, or a, a Joe Biden, or a, a Hillary Clinton. You name it. You name almost any leader in the world today, and they are absolute evil people trying to impose an elitist, collectivist organization over your life. And, and it was like at the, at the beginning of the show, where you talked about uh, how Ed Holder, the, your local mayor, is destroying the city by reducing traffic, putting in this uh, bus rapid transit, making people get out of their cars and all that. Things like that are the little minutiae 
in the Agenda 2030, Agenda 21, and all these Rio summits. They're following a blueprint that is affecting your life, and you better wake up. You better wake up because what's coming down the, down the pike is going to absolutely kill you, quite literally. See what I mean? If Laszlo's presence in a cafe can inspire this unfortunate demonstration, what more will his presence in Casablanca bring on? I advise that this place be shut up at once. But everybody's having such a good time. Yes, much too good a time. The place is to be closed. But I've no excuse to close it. Find one. Everybody is to leave here immediately. This cafe is closed until further notice. Clear the room at once. Close me up. On what ground? I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. You're winning, sir. Oh, thank you very much. Everybody out at once. Mademoiselle, after this disturbance, it is not safe for Lazlo to stay in Casablanca. This morning you implied it was not safe for him to leave Casablanca. That is also true, except for one destination, to return to occupied France. Occupied France? Mm -hmm. Under a safe conduct from me. What value is that? You may recall what German guarantees have been worth in the past. There are only two other alternatives for him. What are they? It is possible the French authorities will find a reason to put him in the concentration camp here. And the other alternative? My dear mademoiselle, perhaps you have already observed that in Casablanca, human life is cheap. Good night, mademoiselle. Well, you are in, in pretty good shape, Eric. How long can I afford to stay closed? Mm, two weeks, maybe three. Well, maybe I won't have to. A bribe has worked before. In the meantime, everybody stays on salary. Oh, thank you, Eric. Sasha will be happy to hear it. I owe him money. <laughs> Are you finished locking up, will you, Carl? I will. Then I am going to the meeting now, of... Tell the... me where you're going. I won't. Good night. We are very honored tonight, Raymond. Major Strasser is one of the reasons the Third Reich enjoys the reputation it has today. You repeat Third Reich as though you expected there to be others. Well, personally, Major, I will take what comes. Do you mind if I ask you a few questions? Unofficially, of course. Make it official, if you like. What is your nationality? I was born in New York City, if that'll help you, honey. I understand that you came here from Paris at the time of the occupation. There seems to be no secret about that. Are you one of those people who cannot imagine the Germans and their beloved Paris? It's not particularly my beloved Paris. Can you imagine us in London? When you get there, ask me. Oh, diplomatist. How about New York? Well, there are certain sections of New York, Major, that I wouldn't advise you to try to invade. We have a complete dossier on you. Richard Blaine, American, age 37, cannot return to his country. The reason is a little vague. We also know what you did in Paris, Mr. Blaine, and also we know why you left Paris. Don't worry, we are not going to broadcast it. Oh, my eyes really brown. You will forgive my curiosity, Mr. Blaine. The point is, an enemy of the Reich has come to Casablanca, and we are checking up on anybody who can be of any help to us. Well, my interest in whether Victor Laszlo stays or goes is purely a sporting one. In this case, you have no sympathy for the fox, huh? Not particularly. I understand the point of view of the hound, too. Victor Laszlo published the foulest lies in the Prague newspapers until the very day we marched in it, even after that. He continued to print scandal sheets in his cellar. Of course, one must admit he has great courage. I admit he's very clever. Three times he slipped through our fingers. In Paris, he continued his activities. We intend not to let it happen again. 
Mr. Blaine, I wonder if I could talk to you. Go ahead. Well, isn't there some other place? It's a lot of confidential, what I have to say. In my office. Right. You must know it's very important I get out of Casablanca. It's my privilege to be one of the leaders of a great movement. You know what I've been doing. You know what it means to the work, to the lives of thousands and thousands of people. I'll be free to reach America and continue my work. I'm not interested in politics. The problems of the world are not in my department. I'm a saloon keeper. My friends in the underground tell me that you've quite a record. You ran guns to Ethiopia. You fought against the fascists in Spain. What of it? Isn't it strange that you always happen to be fighting on the side of the underdog? Yes, I found that a very expensive hobby too, but then I never was much of a businessman. So here we are today in Canada. And Canada is just a microcosm for any other Western nation, the United States, Germany, France, doesn't matter, Holland, you name it. It's all the same. We are all following the same blueprint towards a global communist state, undoubtedly. And the very fact that a majority of my fellow countrymen support the suspension of individual rights distresses me. But I don't want our listeners out there, Bob, to think that they're overwhelmed by this hopeless, what seems to be a hopeless condition, because there's always something you can do. And I had a friend call me recently who was so despondent over what's going on. And I, and I told him, you've got to do what you do best in your own little microcosm. You do what you do best to try to change your little envelope. And that's how all great revolutions started. You know, it started in church basements, people talking. There was this um, thing called Samizdat in the Soviet Union, where there was, of course, great censorship. And they would pass pieces of paper with counter-revolutionary writings in secret to people. And it was called Samistat. Now, that's almost to the point where we are today with this cancel culture. We're going to be ending up putting pamphlets in people's mailboxes, I think, to, to circumvent all the cancel culture and the control of technology. But look at Trudeau. Trudeau in microcosm is the world. He is a collaborator. He's not one of those high elites. I mean, you can see that the people in Davos and the United Nations, they just snub him. They just turn their back on the man, quite literally ignore him because he is a useful idiot. Um, his statement on China that I mentioned earlier, that he admires their basic dictatorship because they can implement green policies or turn their economy around on a dime. Look at um, his statement on Canadian culture that he has made. It's like Canada has no core culture. He has said that. Yeah, he, Canada's, culture, Canada's culture was freedom. So when he said we have no global culture, yeah. he said, screw freedom. That's basically, basically. what he said. He, he wears a T-shirt in public saying, global citizen. What a maroon. <laughs> he, the we charity that he gives money to. What's the, what's the motto of the we charity? From me to we, i.e. from the individual to the collective. Look at the, uh, the way that Canadian, especially liberal Canadian, Although, again, we're seeing no real distinction between political parties at the federal level, except for the PPC. Look at our veneration of people like uh, Norman Bethune, a communist sympathizer, a Chinese communist sympathizer. Um, look at Pierre Trudeau's love affair with uh, Fidel Castro in Cuba. Look at the adjournment camps that we're seeing right now for healthy people arriving home by air. 
Except where you got uh, patriots and brave people like Chris Skye going and saying, nah, not doing it, go away, and walks out of the airport. Good for you, Chris. You're a hero. That's right. They're toying. Justin Trudeau is toying with the possible uh, vaccine passports, you know, or, or permanent new normal restrictions. I don't think he's toying with them. I think this yeah. is a plan. Now, I'm calling you from New Brunswick. I mean, me, people may think we're in the same room, but you're, you're in London, Ontario. I'm in, I'm in New Brunswick. And here in this province in New Brunswick, when everything goes green, the green zones, they get the color codes as well, you know, because it's all part of the same plan. Yep. The green zones still says that you have to wear masks if you are symptomatic by law. That's the new normal. Um, if you have a cold, you, you, know, you used to go around with a cold before, no problem, right? The sniffles or whatever. Now you have to wear a mask by law. That's ridiculous. The last thing I want to wear when I've got a cold is a, is a mask, because then I'm going to drip my nose into the mask every five minutes. Exactly. They're absolutely insane. I, I, can't even, I cannot even give them a second thought. They are so off any intellectual measurement, any moral measurement. They are not human beings, the people that are coming up with this stuff. They are you know, complete animals. Absolutely. You know, and there's really nowhere in the world you can escape to it. Maybe Texas and Florida, I don't know. But <laughs> no, all you can do is change the world that you're in. You have to. And, and, and to that point, Bob, as we end off this show, I don't want people to despair too much. No, because, no you know, despair. you and I are doing what we're doing. We take great pleasure in it. What we do is a radio show broadcast on shortwave, WBCQ, which broadcasts out of uh, Monticello, Maine, uh, the state of Maine in the United States, and Channel 292, which um, operates out of Ingolstadt, Germany. And there's people who hear our voices across the world. And shortwave may be the last bastion of free speech when it comes to broadcast, because it isn't really regulated in the United States. Uh, as long as the antennas point to another country, which is <laughs> so bizarre. But in any I case, um, but people don't, if you don't want a radio show, listen, you, you can do your own podcast. Get your ideas out there. Do your own videos. Don't necessarily put them on YouTube. You've got to go to places like Rumble or uh, BitChute. And there are a number of other different platforms for, uh, for videos because YouTube is going, going bye-bye. It really is. You, you can make pamphlets and put them in people's mailboxes. You can just simply say, no, I disagree, if somebody brings up something that um, is contrary to freedom. You know, um, yep. you can you read, for God's sakes, read, Rand, read history. Read, read, read. Get the intellectual ammunition you need to be able to ar argue properly against all of this nonsense that's going on. Read the, the people from the Age of Enlightenment. And, and I, have to, I have to stress this. You have to get involved politically. You have to get involved politically. And if you're out there and you don't want to vote for a particular party, even though in Ontario there's the Freedom Party of Ontario, I would support them. Federally, of course, the People's Party, I support them. And if you don't want to support a particular party, then listen. You have to be a part of the process. Remember, people out there, look, we are the resistance. And all I can say to you is... We will overcome this because you cannot erase the literature out there, even though they're trying. You cannot erase the thoughts that are out there, the people like Ayn Rand and Thomas Jefferson, and the list is almost endless. And I thought in closing we would close with a history lesson. This again is from Ayn Rand. This is really what we should be listening to. And I'm going to quote, Contrary to the prevalent views of today's alleged scholars, 
History is not an unintelligible chaos ruled by chance and whim. Historical trends can be predicted and changed. Men are not helpless, blind, doomed creatures carried to destruction by incomprehensible forces beyond their control. There is only one power that determines the course of history, just as it determines the course of every individual life, the power of a man's rational faculty, the power of ideas. If you know a man's convictions, you can predict his actions. If you understand the dominant philosophy of a society, you can predict its course. But convictions and philosophy are matters open to man's choice. There is no fatalistic predetermined historical necessity. Just as a man's actions are preceded and determined by some form of idea in his mind, so too a society's existential conditions are preceded and determined by the ascendancy of a certain philosophy among those whose job it is to deal with ideas. The events of any given period of history are the result of the thinking of the preceding period. The 19th century, with its political freedom, science, industry, business, trade, all the necessary conditions of material progress, was the result and the last achievement of the intellectual power released by the Renaissance. The men engaged in those activities were still riding on the remnants of an Aristotelian influence in philosophy, particularly on Aristotelian epistemology. Now here's where she speaks to your point earlier, Robert, about minorities. Get this. History is made by minorities. Or more precisely, history is made by intellectual movements which are created by minorities. Who belongs to these minorities? Anyone who is able and willing actively to concern himself with intellectual issues. Here, it is not quantity, but quality that counts. The quality and consistency of the ideas that one is advocating. The battle of human history is fought and determined by those who are predominantly consistent for good or evil. End quote. So, there you go, Robert. There's well, your point. Well, it's all done by minorities. <laughs> exactly. And I think that you and I are, are sort of, and our friends who agree with us here and listening to this radio broadcast, we are the Victor Laszlo's fighting <laughs> the Vichy France in Casablanca. I mean, people look at that movie and think romantically of the actions of a Victor Laszlo, right? Why can't you be that person? Get up and say something. Do something. Yeah, and that's Don't what he sit did. sit down his, and, and roll over and be a collaborator. Yeah, his power was in the ideas that he was spreading in his era. Mm -hmm. So, given our honorable status of being a minority, and after 700 weekly broadcasts promoting the consistent and non-contradictory ideas about freedom, make it a point not to miss episode 701, which you can do by joining us again next week, when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Vive la résistance! Fade into color Color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright The Krauts want privacy, huh? Security. Place is full of research equipment. They're working on a new magnetic mine. It explodes if you just look at it. <laughs> nice. Very nice. London wants information. Diagrams, formulas, any notes they have. They also want pictures of the interior. I want you to get back here as fast as you can. No bars, no cafes, and no girls. Do you mind if I smile at people? Only if it's absolutely necessary. <laughs> now, we got your identity papers? I am a French collaborator from Vichy looking for a job to help the German war effort. Rat. <laughs>